So, um, I, was, I was raised in a family that did not have cable TV, and I was permitted to watch one hour of TV a day. It had to be educational, so I was a PBS Kids kid. Um, where are my people at? I was raised by, there we go, I was raised by the Muppets on Sesame Street, and Wishbone and Bill Nye the Science Guy and uh, the Kratt Brothers, but of course, uh, also by Mr. Rogers and his famous neighborhood, right? Fred Rogers uh, was a cultural touchstone and, and his uh, consistent and clear message that every child is special and, and every child is loved exactly the way they are. Mm. It's a good thing we got to hear that for about 50 years on our television screens, right? And, and, and sometimes we forget that Fred Rogers was also a Presbyterian minister. I believe he did what he did because of his love, not just for children, but also his love, his great love for God and, and, for, uh, and for Jesus. And, and he, he said this thing one time that has always stuck with me, especially as I was preparing for today's message. He said, listening is where love begins. Listening is where love begins. And so, with Fred Rogers' memory and words ringing in our ears, we, we turn our attention this week in this journey of Lent towards the subject of listening. This, this Lent, this, this season of preparation for Easter that we engage in, um, along with so much of, of Christendom, um, this Lenten journey for us this year is focused on embodiment, in a series called Body and Soul. The idea um, that, that we are intertwined and that our faith is meant to, um, is meant to intersect and, and be integrated into all that we are, um, both body and soul. And so each week we're going to look at a different body part and how that can invite us to consider our faith in a different way. Last week, we talked generally about what it meant to be embodied. This week, we're going to talk about our ears and the faithful practice of listening. And there's two texts that we're going to look at because uh, if Fred Rogers tells us that listening is where love begins, as Christians, we believe that we are called to love God and also to love our neighbor. And so we have two texts today. One is going to talk about how we listen to God, and the second text is going to talk about how we listen to our neighbor. And so first we turn our attention to the book of 1 Samuel, beginning in chapter 3, verse 1. If you'd like to follow along, you can. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you. You can follow along on your phone. 1 Samuel, chapter 3, verse 1. And we're actually going to see this on our screens as well. So feel free to read along or simply close your eyes and listen as well. It says, Now the boy Samuel was serving the Lord under Eli. The Lord's word was rare at that time, and visions were not widely known. One day, Eli, whose eyes had grown so weak he was unable to see, was lying down in his room. God's lamp had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the Lord's temple where God's chest was. The Lord called to Samuel, I'm here, God said. Samuel hurried to Eli and said, I'm here. You, you called me. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go lie down. And so he did. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And so Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, I'm here. You, you called me. 
I didn't call my son, Eli replied. Go lie down. Go back to bed. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord, and the Lord's word hadn't yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called Samuel. He got up and he went to Eli and he said, I am here. You called me. And then Eli realized that it was the Lord who was calling the boy. And so Eli said to Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down where he'd been. Then the Lord came and stood there, calling just as before, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel said, speak, your servant is listening. The Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of all who hear it tingle. For the word of God in scripture and the word of God among us and the word of God within us, let us say, thanks be to God. So let's unpack this text. I I don't imagine that many, if, if not even most of us, are very familiar with 1 Samuel. Maybe you've heard this story or something like it before, but just to understand what's happening here, there is a dramatic irony at the heart that's an undercurrent of this entire story. Um, And it starts with who Eli is. Eli is a priest. And the important thing to know about priests in those days was that it was something of a family business. This started with Moses' brother Aaron and Aaron's sons being priests. And, you know, the whole goal was that if you're a priest, you're you're a man, first of all, in those days. And, And your hope is that your sons would be good priestly men and carry on in the family tradition. Eli doesn't have sons like that. His sons are not very interested in priesting. Um, And so he has this boy Samuel who stays with him in the temple instead. He refers to him as son, but Samuel's not his son. He's the son of Hannah, who's the second favorite wife of a guy that's really of no importance. Samuel's not really anybody of any acclaim other than what we know as onlookers in the story of God and Scripture. Eli's an elderly priest. He knows that his time is coming to a close. It tells us his eyes could barely see. He's older in age. He doesn't have the lineage to carry on his name. And so he has this young boy, Samuel. And the the bitter irony is that the prophecy that God meets Samuel with in this story is actually spelling the end of Eli and his family's run as the high priest. That's the prophecy that Samuel will receive. Samuel is raised in the temple. Could you imagine growing up within the temple? Um, Some of us who were raised in the church might be able to identify with Samuel a little bit in this way. It says prophets were rare, visions weren't widely known, and the priest was nearly blind. That's how the story begins. And then there's this little boy, Samuel. He mistakes God's voice for Eli's three times. How often, I wonder, are we told that the voice of the way things have been is the voice of God when actually God is up to something new instead? Samuel's story leads us to consider that. Ultimately, though, this is a story about a young prophet learning to listen closely to the word of God in his life. A young prophet learning to listen. Even though he'd been raised in the temple, he didn't really understand who the Lord was until this moment. I, I happen to think about my own life 
and thinking about those times when God moved from my head into my heart, that I, I heard who God was in a new and more compelling way. And when I see this story, I see God relating to Samuel, speaking to Samuel, and I see the way that God speaks to Samuel in three really important ways that I think could inform the way that we understand God's voice in our own life. And, and maybe you're already at a place of saying, Scott, I don't know if I believe this whole like God speaks to us thing. That's okay. That's okay. Stay with us in this story. Maybe understand it for yourself as a point of metaphor for now. And I wonder, though, where it could lead us to understand the movement of the Spirit in our lives. First, I see that, that God is speaking to Samuel through silence. God is speaking to Samuel through silence. God's whisper comes to Samuel in the very quiet moments of the night after everyone else is gone. Samuel is sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. What a, what a fantastic bedroom. You know, the, the, the church can be a busy place today. It can be a noisy place today. Um, our church operates a day school several days of the week. The church can be a noisy place today. Um, the temple in Samuel's day was a very noisy place. It was a chaotic place. The, the temple was not this sort of shut down place where no one was allowed to enter in. Yes, there were some rooms that were reserved for the priests, but the temple is where people came because they felt they had to go there to receive atonement for their sins. They had to be made right with God by going to the temple. It was a popular place to go. And the way you made yourself right with God in those days was you brought animals to be slaughtered. It was a chaotic place, a noisy place with goats and cows and doves and all sorts of stuff happening all of the time. And Samuel would have been surrounded by this, this chaos and this noise. Can you imagine being a child raised in this kind of environment, but God doesn't come to Samuel in the midst of ritual. God doesn't come to Samuel in the midst of violent sacrifice. God comes to Samuel in silence and in quiet. I think that's an important detail to notice makes me ask myself, am I making time and space for God to speak to me in the midst of stillness and in silence? Because my friends, I, I know this to be true, that our souls need silence. Our souls need silence. There was a study conducted several years ago that found something really fascinating. It, it, it was testing the difference between relaxing music and silence on our bodies. And it found that when presented with the two, that, that, that patients exhibited lower blood pressure and higher blood circulation to their brains when met with silence rather than relaxing music. And I don't think it's just because the patients didn't like Enya, right? <laughs> I, I think it's because there's something that silence can do that nothing else can. There's something about silence that allows us to be free and to breathe and allows our brains to function in a different way and allow our hearts to quite literally beat in a different way. Silence is a unique gift that we find ourselves deprived of more and more and more. It's a cliche, and I'm not even going to go deep into it, about how noisy and chaotic our lives are today compared to even recent generations, how much noise there constantly is, how rare it is that we are able to find silence. I know our souls need silence, and I also know that we are not given in silence by our lives very often free of charge. A lot of times silence is something that we have to carve out for ourselves. And maybe I'm only thinking this way because I got three kids under 10 in my house. And so I know that silence is something I have to carve out for myself. But I imagine your life can be pretty noisy too, whether with actual noise or with metaphorical noise. 
there's some obvious things that we could do to create silence for ourselves. Maybe that means waking up a little bit earlier in the morning and intentionally sitting in quiet meditation. Maybe that means doing the same in the evening before we go to bed, putting the phone away and allowing our bodies to become still. But maybe there's some less obvious but deeply important ways we could do this. Maybe it's carving out time during our workday what if you scheduled a 15-minute meeting that you didn't move for anybody, not no way, not know how, and that was your silence meeting? And you can shut the door, and people can think that you're hard at work on a spreadsheet, but you're just sitting in silence for a moment. Or one thing I've found really helpful for myself is I've begun to drive in silence at times. I did this, started a couple years ago, because I read another study that was all about the ways our brains process information and the way that our brains try to work through creative problem solving, and that our brains can only do so much while we're feeding it additional information, and it actually does its best work when nothing is happening around us at all. And so it suggested, try driving without a podcast or an audio book. And, and, and I love my sports podcasts, and I love my murder mystery audio books, uh, but I've discovered that driving in silence allows my brain to work through some things that I wasn't giving it time to do earlier. So think about ways you can create silence in your life because our souls need silence. God speaks through silence in Samuel's story, but God also speaks through people that we trust, people that that Samuel trusts. God speaks through Eli to Samuel. Of course we can see that. Samuel goes to Eli a few times. He mistakes God's voice for his mentor's voice. And finally, Eli goes, ah, it's not me. It's actually God who's trying to speak to you. And, and Eli even gives Samuel the words to speak. Your servant is listening. Speak, Lord. I notice that Eli, though, too, Eli trusts Samuel. And Eli trusts God. Eli knows that his sons are not prepared to be priests, and here's this young boy who appears to be receiving a prophetic vision from God, and rather than trying to manipulate it or, or rather than trying to squash it, Eli says, no, go make yourself available. Eli trusts God and trusts Samuel to a humble end. I think frequently we can hear God's voice in the trusted people around us. We can hear God's voice in the trusted people around us. We ought to test ourselves and test whatever the whispers of the Spirit that we feel nudging our hearts by engaging someone that we trust in faithful conversation. Do they confirm what we believe God is putting upon our hearts? In my own work, I, I work on a committee called the District Committee on Ministry, DCOM. It's part of our United Methodist ordination process. And it's, we're a team that evaluates uh, potential clergy early on in their ordination process. If you don't know the UMC, it can take around five or six or seven years uh, to become ordained. Um, it's a lengthy process. It's a, it's a difficult process. It's a good process. And, um, and so I'm on one of those teams. And, and what we're listening for a lot of times in that early stage is an understanding of call. And we'll ask a simple question that's really not so simple. Why do you feel called by God to serve the United Methodist Church as an ordained clergy person. And what we're listening for is, yes, we want to hear about that internal nudge from the Holy Spirit. We want to hear about that conversation with God. We, we want to hear about the way they sense they have gifts uh, and skills for ministry. But importantly, we would love to hear if anyone else in their lives sees this as part of their future as well. Because if they don't, that could be a cause for concern. Now, I'm not suggesting that we listen to all the loudest voices in our lives. Sometimes the loudest voices are the least helpful. 
Sometimes the loudest voices don't really love you that much. Sometimes the loudest voices don't have your best interests at heart. Notice that Eli is willing to listen and support Samuel, even though in his heart he kind of knows it means he's done. That is someone who has Samuel's best interests at heart. I'm not suggesting we listen to every voice. I'm not suggesting we listen to the loudest voices. I am suggesting we ought to have someone, somebody in our lives who loves us enough to be that conversation partner. So when we say, I feel like the Holy Spirit is nudging me, they can say, wow, I'm glad you finally realized that. I've been having the Holy Spirit nudge me on your behalf for years now. Or maybe they could say, you know, my brother, you should take that to God in prayer. I think that needs to marinate for a little bit longer, right? (laughs) Really, really, we need people in our lives that we love and trust enough to have that kind of a holy conversation. Because if it's from God, it'll be confirmed by the people who love us and whom we trust to love us well. I see God speaking to Samuel through silence and through someone he trusts. <laughs> also, again, don't miss the obvious stuff in these stories. God speaks to us through repetition. How many times does God speak to Samuel? Samuel, I'm here, Eli. No, 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 go back to bed. Samuel, I'm here, Eli. No, 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 go back to bed. Samuel, I'm here, Eli. No, try one last time, Samuel. I think sometimes we... we get introduced to God as this very impatient figure that might place something before us for just a moment. And if we don't leap at it, as wild as it is, then God says, fine, I'm going to move on. You're not worth the trouble anyways. And that's just such a, that's such an unhelpful image of who God is for me because I see God here working with a literal child who, who cannot seem to comprehend that God could be speaking to him in this moment and God is willing to go back and go back and go back again. If you've ever felt nudged by God into something, something tells me that nudge took more than once to push you over the edge. I was with some colleagues this past week, folks that are young clergy like myself, who, who resisted those calls uh, several times in our lives and then finally said, um, maybe this is something I'm called into. We were talking about something totally uh, different, about um, beliefs around heaven and hell, and one of my colleagues said, you know, on the subject of hell and, and just the idea of God eternally punishing people, um, he said, you know, as a parent, I can't imagine wanting that for my child, doing that to my my child, and I need God to be a better parent than I am, right? Um, there's some power in that statement. I need God to be a better parent than I am. I, if I can't imagine this, then I know that the God I believe in can't possibly imagine that either, because God's got to be a better parent than I am. I can be pretty patient. I can be actually very patient. Um, uh, my wife tells me that that can be my superpower in our house sometimes. Um, I, I need a lot of patience in my current phase of life. I need God to be more patient than I am. Because there are times where I decide I might be done with someone. I decide that maybe they're not worth my patience any longer. I need God to be more patient than I am. And, and, and one piece of good news I have for us is looking at the story from 1 Samuel is that we can trust in God's patience. That, that, that if God really has a design or plan for my life or for your life or for anyone's life, I don't think God places it out there and says, all right, you got about three seconds, go, and then snatches it away and says, all right, I'm leaving you behind forever. I just, I can't believe in a vision of God that is that impatient. I have to believe that God is willing to put up with me as childlike as I can be at times. We can trust in God's patience.
And so 1 Samuel gives us a vision of what it's like to listen to the movement of the Spirit in our lives, to make space for silence, to to take those nudges to people that we trust, and to also trust in God's patience and repetition. Those are ways that we can listen closely to God, to love God in our lives. But then we're called not just to love God. We're called also to love our neighbor. And there's a text um, that stuck with me. And I, and I almost, friends, I, I almost cut this part of the sermon out until something happened earlier this week. And then I realized this text was more important than ever. In Luke, the Gospel of Luke, um, we see a story about a blind man that, that Jesus encounters on his road to Jericho. It says this, As Jesus came to Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting beside the road begging When the man heard the crowd passing by, he asked what was happening, and they told him, Jesus the Nazarene is passing by. And the blind man shouted, Jesus, son of David, show mercy. Those leading the procession scolded him, telling him to be quiet. But he shouted even louder, son of David, show me mercy. Jesus stopped and called for the man to be brought to him. When he was present, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. At once he was able to see. And he began to follow Jesus, praising God. And when all the people saw it, they praised God too. The story underscores an important point as we talk about listening this week. There is a difference between hearing and listening. Amen? Don't say amen yet. You don't even know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Everybody in this story hears the blind man. Everybody hears the blind man. We know this because they respond and react. And we read this story and we might miss the important detail that some of those who hear the blind man are those leading the procession. And as Christians, we love to always be able to get ourselves out of jail for free and say, oh, those, you know, those Pharisees and those Sadducees, they're the ones that really don't get Jesus. These are the folks who are leading the Jesus parade through Jericho who hear the blind man and they shout him down. Be quiet. You're getting in the way. But he yells all the louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. As people of faith, I wonder how often we become so blinded by our own self-importance as procession leaders that we fail to listen to the neighbor who is in pain. We fail to witness to the miracle at hand, and we end up missing the work of Jesus in our very midst. We become convinced that we're busy leading a Jesus parade, and that's what it means to listen well. And we forget that Jesus is always listening to the neighbor. And what the neighbor frequently has to say is painful, friends. And that's why we have to listen, because it's so much easier to say, be quiet, sit down, you're getting in the way. This past week, Some of you may have seen and some of you may have not seen the story about Nex Benedict. This is a student in Oklahoma who died a couple of weeks ago. Their picture is on the screens. Nex was a student who lived in a suburb of Tulsa, not in some backwoods, small town in a a nice suburb of Tulsa, Oklahoma. Nex 
was a teenager who identified as non-binary. As a result, Nex was bullied pretty regularly in school. In fact, on February 7th, Nex was attacked by several students, classmates, in the bathroom, a place that's become a political um, hotspot and subject of conversation. Nex was assaulted. Nex's head was slammed against the ground several times, was told by administrators to not make a big deal of it, later ended up in the hospital, and the next day died. We don't, to be clear, we don't yet know the cause of death. The police have been very clear about that. What we do know is that something about what happened in that bathroom, whether physical or mental or emotional, led a 16-year-old in 24 hours to no longer be with us. Now, this story hurts me on a pastoral level because I see next and I see students that I know and love that are a part of this community of faith. I see my own kids. I got three of them. Odds are, someone in my family is going to identify on the LGBTQ spectrum. My heart hurts for us as a people because it's bigger than just next and what happened in that bathroom on February 7th. And if we listen to Nex's story, I wonder what we would be willing to hear. When I feel really big feelings, it's helpful for me to write. And so I've written a short letter to Nex that I'd like to read for you now. Nex, I heard your name for the first time this past week. The same name that you had chosen as a way of marking your non-binary nature, a name that you should have been able to carry into a long and healthy life. A name I heard instead in headlines and stories about your tragic death. I'm trying to listen. I think we all are. Help us to hear and to listen as you cry out for mercy. Do we hear the vitriol that made something as mundane as a high school bathroom violently unsafe? Can we listen for the ways in which our language teaches other children to bully and attack? Do we hear the remarks of a state representative who in one breath offered thoughts and prayers for the incident that you endured, but in the same breath declared about trans people, we don't want that filth in our state? I'm sorry. Do we hear not only your voice, but the voices of all of our children in our churches and in our schools, desperate for places of safety where they can be free to discover and embrace who they are? What will they hear coming from their preachers and their pulpits, from their teachers and their halls of learning? Do their, do their ears receive grace or hate? Help us to hear the Samuels in our midst, the young prophets of the next generation who see a vision of a world where people are loved as they are and given the dignity they deserve as children of God. Lead us to humble ourselves as old Eli, 
and to trust in the guidance of your spirit towards a better future. Help us to hear your voice next cry out after death. Not that we could pray for your soul in heaven, which is fine, but that we could pray for heaven on earth for all the beautiful souls like yours in our midst. Help us to hear you next and to listen to your story because you are not in our way. You are the work of Jesus in our midst. Your faith could heal us if we let it. Friends, listening is where love begins. In the silence, in the chaos, in the old pains, and in the new dreams. May we listen. May we love. May it ever be so. Amen.